All right. Hello, friends. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number 27, and it is Summer Camp Part 8. We've made it to Part 8, Summer Camp Part 8, and we're calling it A Chess Champion, Three Insights, and Living Love. A Chess Champion, Three Insights, and Living Love. Here we go. Chess Champion. Have you heard the name Tanatulua Edawumi? Tanatulua Edawumi. He goes by Tani, uh, but I just like the name Tanatulua, so I'm going to try to say that throughout this story. In 2007, Tanatulua's family fled from Nigeria. 2007, 2017. <laughs> uh, Tanatulua's family fled from Nigeria, so about two years ago, because of Christian persecution, and they came to New York City, uh, where they were homeless and they lived in a homeless shelter and Tanatulua got enrolled in a public school in New York City. Uh, he was in grade school and started, he started going to the school and at some point his, one of his uh, teachers taught the class how to play chess and Tanatulua had never played chess before and he just fell in love with this. Have you heard the story? It's a good one. Some of you have, I bet. And, uh, Tanatulua fell so in love with chess that he wanted to join the school's chess club, but uh, that cost money and his family couldn't afford it. They're homeless, living in a homeless shelter, refugees from Nigeria. And so the school waived the fees and Tanatulua was able to join the chess club. And he just practiced and practiced and practiced and he got good. In fact, he got so good that about a year later was the New York State Chess Championship, And so Tanatulua entered the state championship and his division, if that's what you call it, was kinder, all the kindergartners through third graders in the state of New York, not the city of New York, the state of New York, who wanted to play in this tournament. Tanatulua played and Tanatulua crushed everyone, crushed him. He won the state tournament uh, after only a year of playing. Uh, And he was not expected, as you would imagine, to win this state tournament. I don't know how many students were in it, but it was a bunch. Uh, And uh, Tanatulua's principal had this to say. He said, it's an inspiring example of how life's challenges do not define a person. This is important. It's an inspiring example of how life's challenges do not define a person. So Tanatulua was a refugee from Nigeria. He was homeless. He was poor. He had just learned the game of chess a year before the tournament. Everything pointed to Tanatulua not doing very well in this tournament at all, and he won. Why? Because those things do not define who he is or what he can do, which then raises the question, what does define us and what we can do? Oh, by the way, Tanatulu and his family are not homeless anymore. The story went viral, and once people across the country started hearing his story, uh, they started donating money, sending money to his family. And so Tanatulu's family was able to get, I think it was an apartment in New York City. And uh, not only that, not only were they able to leave the, the shelter, but they tithed 10% of the money they were given and they gave it to the church that they were going to. They tithed 10% of the gift that they were given to their church. How about that? Not only that, 
but they are using some of the money to help other African refugees who have come to New York and are having kind of a rough start. They're having a rough go of it. I mean, what an uplifting story. But back to our question. If those are the thing, if those things, homeless, only learning the game of chess a year before, a refugee, if those didn't define him, then what did define him? What does define who we are and what we do? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three stories from scripture, and each of those stories are going to lead to an insight. So three stories leading to three insights, and then we'll close by talking about living love. Are you ready to go? All right. First story. This comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Here we go. From there, Elisha, Elisha is a prophet of God. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of your baldy, they said. Get out of your baldy. So you have like a Mr. Clean type person in mind, right? Get out of your baldy. He turned around, Elisha turned around, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. (laughs) And that's the story. All right. Thanks for that, God. Good story. What do we do with that? (laughs) What is that about? Okay, here we go. This is 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha is a prophet who came after Elijah, who was a prophet with a J. Elisha came after Elijah, okay? Uh, Elijah, we're told in chapter 1, everyone believed Elijah was a prophet. Whether you were a God follower or not, you saw Elijah as a prophet. Uh, We get to chapter 2, and we're told that God is going to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. So Elijah is going to be no more on this earth. He's going to die. And Elisha is going to be kind of the next prophet in line, although people don't really know this yet. So you have Elijah and Elisha walking along, and they come to the Jordan River where there's running water. Like, how do we get across this? Elijah, the prophet, takes his his cloak, he, he rolls it up and he strikes the Jordan river with it. And the river stops and it divides to the right and to the left. And Elijah and Elisha are able to walk through on dry ground. Then once they get through the, the river starts flowing again. Now, if you were watching this, uh, whether you were a God follower or not, you saw Elijah do this. It's, this doesn't surprise you. Oh yeah. He's a prophet. Of course he can like split the, <laughs> the waters. No, that doesn't surprise us at all. Okay. So they keep walking. As they keep walking, we're told that chariots of fire and horses come down and Elisha and Elijah are split up by these chariots of horses and fire. So they can't see one another. Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, just as God said he would be. The chariots of fire and horses, (laughs) great story, disappear. And then Elisha notices he's there all alone. Elijah, his mentor, his predecessor is gone. So he's a bit sad. Now he's on his own. He's like, what, what do I do? Oh, I guess I better just go back the way I came because I don't really know what to do here. So he takes Elijah's coat, which is laying on the ground, starts walking back to where they came from. He gets back to the Jordan River. He's like, yeah, I may as well try this. He rolls up Elijah's cloak, strikes the water of the Jordan River. The, the river stops. It splits to the right and to the left. And Elisha gets to walk across on dry ground. Now, if you see this, you're like, oh, what? How did he, this is like something a prophet would be able to do. How could he do this? Okay, next story. 
some people from the city of Jericho come to Elisha and they say, Hey man, our water is bad and it's like killing people. Our land is unproductive. Like help us out here. So Elisha tells these people to go uh, to a spring, to a, to a water source and to get water. He tells them to get water in a bowl and then put, put salt in it and bring it to him. So they do. Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, takes this bowl that they give him. He goes to the spring, the water source, and he throws this water in the spring. And he says, uh, here's what the Lord says. I have healed this water. No more will it cause death and no more will the land be unproductive. And the water is healed. You're like, wait a minute. This is like the second thing in a row Elisha was able to do that, that like a real prophet would be able to do. Next story. You have the story of these boys calling <laughs> Elisha Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. <laughs> now, why Baldy? The story really only makes sense if you, if you read it in, in this kind of order. Why Baldy? Here we go. In chapter one, Elijah, the one everyone knew was a prophet, is uh, God's like, hey, I need you to go like straighten this king out. So Elijah has a message for this king that he sends through the king's servants. The servants take this message from Elijah to the king, and the king's question is, what kind of man told you these things? And the servant's response was, uh, he was a hairy man. He was a very hairy man, or uh, another, for another translation, he had a garment of hair. That's how Elijah was known, as a, as a hairy dude, <laughs> okay? And he was a prophet. So when these boys said to Elisha, get out of here, Baldy, what are they saying? They're saying, you're not really a prophet. You, you might think you're a prophet. You might think God is using you this way, but you're not really a prophet. Now, Elijah, he was a prophet. We all know that. You, you're just bald. <laughs> what is this story about? Here's insight number one. You have a calling and no one else gets to tell you what your calling is. You have a calling. From God, like Moses. Remember, we talked about the calling of Moses. You have a calling and no one else gets to tell you what your calling is. No, no, no. That comes from God. Has anyone ever tried to tell you what your calling wasn't? <laughs> it was a parent. It was a coach. It was a coworker. It was a boyfriend or girlfriend. It was maybe a, a spouse. It was a son or daughter. It was a friend. It was someone who wasn't really a friend. And they said things like, yeah, that's, you're not really good at that. That's not who you are. God can't use you in that way. No, no, you can't do that. Why? You're just bald. <laughs> Has anyone ever tried to tell you what your calling wasn't? And we're not, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about Hey, let's not listen to wise voices who know us and who can give us input and direction. No, no, we're totally for that. What I'm talking about here is when people try to tell you how God can't use you. Has anyone tried to tell you how God can't use you? God can't use you for that. You're not good at that. No, 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 you can't do that. Uh, in spring training, baseball this last year, Tim Tebow is was on uh, spring training team for the Mets and he's getting interviewed and he's asked about things like uh, failure and what defines him. And uh, he says this, let me play it for you here. 
you know, it's it's really trying to keep perspective and um, and not letting other people define you because they sure do want to. And um, shoot, it's you know, I try to encourage young people all the time to not let the world or um, other people outside sources define you because you're always going to have critics and naysayers and people that are going to tell you that you won't, that you can't, that you shouldn't. Most of those people are the people that didn't, that wouldn't, that couldn't. And um, and don't be defined by outside sources. You go after your dreams. Um, succeeding or failing is not making it to the bigs or it's not necessarily fulfilling that. It's not. It's having to not live with regret because I didn't try. And, you know, I just feel for all the young people out there that don't go after something because they're so afraid of failing that you're going to live with a lot more regret than you would have if you tried and you failed. And I'm very passionate about that. Um, and I think the reason that a lot of people don't go after things is because um, how much you will be criticized and what if I fall flat on my face? And so fear and doubt and all these things creep in and um, I just don't believe that's the healthiest way to live. I don't want to have to live with fear or doubt every day and you know regardless of what everyone here says about me that doesn't define me and I'm so grateful that doesn't define me. There's one thing that defines me that's what God says about me and and besides that I get to go live out my dreams and try to help as many people along the way as possible. Yeah outside sources don't get to define you. That's, that's God's job. You have a calling and no one else gets to tell you what your calling is. And he, he talks about failure. He talk, failure, pain, fear, those don't have the last word. Your calling comes from what God says about you, not from what outside sources say about you, not from what like 42 of those boys <laughs> say about you. Yeah, and so Elisha. <laughs> so yeah, oh yeah, you don't think I'm a prophet? On cue calls down this curse from heaven in the name of the Lord. Two bears come out, maul 42 of these boys. You have a calling and no one else but God gets to tell you what your calling is. Which means, calling again, we defined last time as just what God, Jesus would have you do with your life. God wants to do great things with you. God wants to do great things with you. And Sometimes we can take this as like, this freaks us out. It stresses us out because, oh man, what if I miss it? What if like God is trying to show me what he wants to do with me and, and I'm not paying attention and I miss it. Like I'm in trouble. I'm screwed. It's over. It's over. Like, I don't have another chance. Um, I don't think God is like that. I, I don't think, by the way, I think he'll give you another chance if he's trying to tell you something and, and, and you somehow miss it. But calling from God is not designed to stress us out. Uh, I believe it is designed to free us up. I believe it opens up a whole world of possibilities. I believe it's about adventure. It's about taking one step and then another step. And then another. I believe it's inspiring. God wants to do great things with you, which shouldn't stress us out. It does sometimes, but, but I believe it should be more freeing than anything. You have a calling and only God gets to tell you what your calling is. Now, what do we do about that? Okay, yeah, I believe that. Fine, what do I do about it? Next story. This is Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, a good question here is, uh, why are we talking about gates? (laughs) Okay, here we go. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has, has, this is like the beginning of the conclusion. So in this sermon, Jesus has talked to his audience about things like forgiving and not judging and loving your enemy and being faithful and giving to the needy. And now he been, begins with his conclusion with, okay, these things I've just told you, uh, don't enter through the broad gate that a lot of people are entering through. That leads to death. No, no. You are to enter through the narrow gate that leads to life, that not as many people are taking that path <laughs> at the moment. What's he saying? What is this about? Uh, I think this is about intention. Intention. I think Jesus is saying, look, anybody can go with the flow. Anyone can do what everybody else is doing. Anyone can do what's easy. Anyone can judge someone else and what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're thinking. Anyone can hold on to their own possessions and not give them away. Anyone can lie. Anyone can treat the less fortunate poorly. Anyone can be unfaithful to their spouse. Anyone can do those kinds of things. That doesn't take, anyone can worry. That's not hard. Any, it, it, that doesn't take any guts or intention or prayer at all. But Jesus says, the things that I've just told you, the ways I've just instructed you to live, that's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's where your soul can actually soar. That's how you get to the best version of yourself. That's how you get to, to your next level. Intention. You know, by the way, how Tana Talua got to his next level in chess? It was all intention. He, he had the skill. He was good at it, sure. But he, he would go home to the homeless shelter every night and practice on the floor on his dad's computer. And every Saturday, his mom would drive him to Harlem for a three-hour chess practice. And his chess coach said that Tana Talua... Uh, does 10 times more chess puzzles than other kids. <laughs> How did Tana Tulu get to the next level? Intention. Intention. Uh, which means this, insight number two. Your next level will demand a different version of you. Your next level, you getting to your best, it will demand a different version of you. Uh in the 1700s, there was a famous rabbi named Rabbi Zusia, and he has one of the better quotes I've ever read. He, he, rabbi Zusia said this. He said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusia? <laughs> isn't that brilliant? Yeah, yeah. The, the point isn't to become a better version of somebody else. The point isn't for us to try to copy what somebody else who, who may have done fantastic things, what they're doing. No, no, no. What God is asking for us is to be the best version of ourselves, to be, to continue to be better versions of ourselves, to get to our next level. That, that will always take intention. That will always take doing things on purpose. So the question then becomes, okay, where do I start? By the way, this world doesn't need you to be somebody else. This world needs your soul to be at your best. It can only be at your best when, it's, when it, you're being you. So a common question is, okay, where do I start? How do I get to my next level? How, how do I get to being a better version of myself, a better version of me? A uh, couple things here. Number one, and this is like an <laughs> expected churchy answer, but that's the best I got here. Uh, spend time with God. That's what I got. That's number one. 
uh, whether that's reading the scriptures, whether that's praying, whether that's just going outside for a walk, how do you connect with God? Whether that's journaling, uh, going to church, whatever it is for you, how do you connect with God? Spend time with God every day. Intentionally spend time with God. Be silent, be still, reflect, be grateful. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? For a second, um, ask yourself, what are my interests, passions, and skills? Because here's, I guarantee you this, the calling God has given you, it has a lot to do with what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, and what you're good at. Right? Someone once said, like your, your calling is at the intersection of where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. Yeah, look for that. Maybe you need to write these down. What am I good at? What, am I, what are my interests? What are my passions? What are my skills? And do more of those things. Uh, next, ask others who trust you and know you. Ask them, what am I good at? What do you think? You know me. You've known me for a while. I trust you. Um, what do you think God might have me do? And it doesn't make whatever they say. That doesn't make it you just go and do that without any questions. No, no, no. But you're getting input from people that you love and trust. How about this? Have you ever asked this? Who am I? How would you answer that question? Who am I? It's a tough question to answer. Maybe you spend the next week just thinking about it and having like a journal page or something. And every time you think of something about, oh, I would, I would say that. Go write it down. Who am I? And then, which leads to this last question. Am I living faithfully to the life God has asked me to live? Am I living faithfully to the life God has asked me to live? Which is a yes or no question. And we don't normally want yes or no questions because that's like one word answer. But the follow-up is why or why not? How can I tell if I'm living faithfully to the life God has asked me to live? You have a calling and no one else gets to tell you what your calling is. And your life, uh, your, your calling, your next level will demand a different version of you. How can you get to your next level? the next version of you. Okay. Third story, Luke chapter eight. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him being the disciples and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, you read this in Luke 8, this is the beginning of Luke 8, and it just seems like a kind of, yeah, this is like a throwaway verse or three verses here, this doesn't really matter. But then you start asking some questions. Like, what's the point of this line? Well, here we go. Look at the, think about the characters in in these three verses, because one of them is not like the others. So you have Jesus. You have the 12, you have the disciples, you have Mary Magdalene, who we know is a follower of Jesus. And then down kind of the road there, you have Herod. Whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't fit. Who was Herod? This is, this is referring to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas at the time was the Roman ruler over Galilee in Israel. Uh, again, we said this a few episodes, a few experiences ago, Rome had the boot on the neck of the Jewish people, oppressing them, mistreating them taking advantage of them, uh, taxing them. Herod was in charge of this in the region of Galilee. Okay. Herod's dad was Herod the Great. 
a couple things about Herod the Great. Uh, number one, he thought he was God. Um, so if you're Herod Antipas and you're thinking, okay, if my, if my father was God, that makes me the son of God. <laughs> if you think that you're the son of God, that's going to be a problem in the kingdom of Jesus. Okay. Second thing about Herod the Great. Herod the Great considered himself the king of the Jews. And if you're Herod Antipas, the son, you're thinking, okay, if my dad was the king of the Jews, then this Jesus guy certainly can't be the king of the Jews. So Herod Antipas, he hated Jesus. He hated the Jesus movement. He's trying to get rid of it. He's trying to stamp it out. He wants to see Jesus killed. Okay. Jesus, Herod, not on the same side. So what's going on here? There's a woman named Joanna who's following Jesus. Joanna, we're told, is the wife of Cusa. Cusa, we're told, is the manager of Herod's household. Okay, meaning Cusa is like Herod's right-hand man. He, he's on the inside. He knows all the secrets. He knows what's going on. He's there for everything. He's invited to all the parties. He's getting paid really, really well by Herod. His wife, not only is following Jesus, but she's one of the women who were told from Luke that was helping to support Jesus out of their own, and the disciples, out of their own means. <laughs> Which means what? Uh, Joanna is taking money from Cusa's bank account, her husband. Money that is being put in Cusa's bank account by his boss, Herod, which means Herod is indirectly funding the very movement he's trying to stamp out. <laughs> How awesome is this? Luke is fantastic for putting this in here, which means this. This is like a nod, nod, wink, wink from Luke uh, saying, oh, by the way, we have like two kingdoms here. We have this kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And then we have like this Roman kingdom that Herod is like leading and a part of. Uh, one of these kingdoms, Luke says, is going down <laughs> and it's already happening and they don't even know it yet, which leads us to insight number three. Only one kingdom is going to last. Only one kingdom is going to last. You and I, we see two kingdoms at war every single day. We see the kingdom of, of this world uh, that's about greed and storing things up for yourselves and not forgiving and mistreating and not loving. And then we see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. That's about forgiveness and love and peace and true joy and honesty and actual freedom, giving to the needy, loving your neighbor. And Luke says, only one of these kingdoms is going to last and it's already starting, whether you can see it or not. And our job is to start fighting for the kingdom that is going to last now. Are we doing that? Which is why throughout the series, we've talked about things like who God is and who God isn't. Because sometimes in order to know what, who someone is, you have to know who they aren't. If you're going to follow someone, you got to know who he is. We've talked about how no one is more important to God than you. And if no one is import, more important to God than you, then no one is more important to the God, to the, no one more, is more important to God than the person next to you. We've talked about if, if God's love is true for you, then it's true for others. We've talked about how you live today is how you live your life, because this is urgent. We have to start fighting for the kingdom that's going to last now. We've talked about loving people, no matter who they are, 
no matter who they are. We've talked about giving your life to what works and what will last. We've talked about freedom and greatness and future. We've talked about how each one of us has a calling and no one else gets to tell us what that calling is. We've talked about our next level and how that's going to demand a different, better version of ourselves. So the invitation from Jesus here, it's to work with God, to, to find out what our calling is, what he would have us do with our life. The invitation is to be at our best, to get to our next level, to do things that allow our soul to soar because our next level is going to demand a different version of us. And the invitation is to start fighting for the kingdom that's going to last now. On uh, Easter Sunday, I was at a church and the pastor, (laughs) quite cleverly, I thought, started talking about the hashtag YOLO. Remember YOLO? You only live once. And I think I was drawn to this illustration because um, I've always been against that (laughs) hashtag for a couple of reasons. One, you only live once, like became uh, an excuse to do things that you know you shouldn't do. (laughs) It became this excuse, uh, this permission really for people to do what they wouldn't normally do, do things that were unhealthy. Yeah, you only uh, only live once. I might as well go, I might as well go treat my body this way. You only live once. I might as well go do this with this person. You only live live once. I might as well throw myself off this bridge. (laughs) You're going to live short once if you do that. But what this pastor pointed out, was and and the other reason that I can't stand this hashtag YOLO is because it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, there's such a thing as resurrection. Resurrection. So this pastor said, you know, the hashtag should be you only live twice. Yolt. <laughs> Yolt. What does this mean? There are things that we're doing that we're going to be able to bring with us when we, we find ourselves in, in Jesus kingdom in its fullness. And there are other things that we'll have to leave behind. There's an urgency to this. You only live twice. So start fighting for the things that will last now, the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying, how we're treating people. Will we be able to take them with us when we find ourselves in the fullness of the kingdom of God or are they just not going to last? We're just storing up some stuff that we don't need to be storing up. Yolt. You only live twice. It's a passage in Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has been told that uh, his sins has been forgiven. He, he's been set free. He can now live freely as, as he was created because of the grace of God. And God has a message to send to his people. So he's looking for a prophet. Like, we, I got to straighten my people out here. I need someone to, to, to go help me with this and to relay this message. And God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah's response is, here I am, send me. And then God's response is, go. Remember Moses? Moses, Moses, here am I. Isaiah says, God says, who will go for us? Whom will I send? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. God says, go. There was a man named Carlo Corretto. Carlo Corretto spent 10 years of his life uh, in North Africa, serving people in the Sahara Desert. And one day he was riding his camel through the Sahara Desert, like you do. And he came across about 50 men who were repairing a road. 
And so he gets off his camel and he is offering these 50 gentlemen water. And to his surprise, he notices an old friend, Paul, was one of these 50 men who were working on this road. Now, Paul uh, used to live in Paris where he was an engineer working on the atomic bomb. (laughs) So Paul's not dumb. And so Carlo is surprised to see, a bit surprised to see Paul. But here's the deal. At one point, Paul felt the call of God to leave Paris and his engineering job behind and to go serve the poor in North Africa. And so that's what he did. And at one point, Paul's mom came to Carlo and tried to get Carlo to convince Paul to, to go back to Paris. Cause she's like, why, why is he doing, why is he wasting his, t- his time in the Sahara desert in North Africa? Wouldn't he better be better off? Wouldn't it be more worthwhile if he was working in a church or work going back as an engineer? I mean, why is he doing, why is he wasting his life? And what Carlo realized was no, no, no. Paul is actually quite content with what he's doing. This was actually a call for him, which caused Car- Carlo to ask him the question, am I doing what Jesus would have me do in the grand scheme of his kingdom? And as he's asking himself this question and thinking about it, this is what he came up with. He wrote this. He said, my place was there among the poor, meaning in North Africa. Others would have the task of building, feeding, preaching. The Lord asked me to be a poor man among the poor, a worker among workers. It is difficult to judge others, meaning that's not our job to judge others. But the one truth we must cling to desperately is love. It is love that justifies our actions. Love must initiate all we do. If out of love, brother Paul has chosen to die on a desert road, then he is justified. If out of love, others build schools and hospitals, they are justified. If out of love, scholars spend their lives among books, they are justified. The Lord asks me to be a poor man among the poor, a worker among workers. I can only say, live love, let love invade you. It will never fail to teach you what you must do. Yeah, we all will have different paths. We'll all all have different callings. But according to Carlo Coretta, what he would say is in those callings, whatever we're doing, the goal is to live love. Here am I, Lord. Send me. What is it you would have me do? And God says, go. May you know that you have a calling and no one else gets to tell you what your calling is. May you work with God to figure out your calling. May you do things that get you to the next level of yourself because your next level is always going to demand a different version of you. And may you start fighting for the kingdom that's going to last now. May you go And when you go, may you live love. Thanks for listening. This has been our summer camp series. Hope you're having a great summer. Grace and peace. Much love.